0: what's going on everybody this is ryan henry and welcome to 180 where we get to share amazing stories of christian transformation from around the world these stories will literally blow your mind follow us on your favorite podcast player or you can visit us at 180 podcast.com that's o-n-e-80 podcast.com this show mentions abuse alcoholism Drug use and dealing, and promiscuity. Today's show features Margaret as host, and one way intern Kate Speary is joining us as producer.
1: Diane Dassing has an amazing turnaround story of redemption. After a troubled childhood, Diane found herself steeped in drugs and alcohol. She even became a cocaine dealer. But fortunately, God had other plans for Diane, turning her from dealer to the healer. Welcome to Diane's 180. Friends, we have Diane Dassing with us today. We're so excited to share her extraordinary 180. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, Diane.
0: Well, I am so excited to be here. It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to get together for a while, right?
1: Yeah. God's timing is perfect though. So this is this is awesome. Today is awesome. It is. <laughs> We're so excited, but we do start our shows with a random question. Would you rather give up the internet or TV?
0: TV, for sure. Okay, watching a lot of TV. <laughs> Not so much me, but it seems to be on all the time, and I would like to just pick it up. If I could, we still have a tube TV, believe it or not. So
1: friends, those of you who have no idea what a tube TV is, (laughs) and and you also, these are why you check out our show notes. We will link both of those. You'll see a picture of what a tube TV is. Um, So let's get into your story, Diane. Tell us where you grew up.
0: I grew up in a little town called Melrose Park and it was a a large community of mostly Italian people so I grew up knowing the family dynamics of that ethnicity and it was quite amazing. Big families, a lot of really close people uh, and we didn't really have a big family so it was wonderful to just kind of adopt into their family and uh, get to know their heritage and just how they dealt with each other. It was, it was comical, some of it was a little scary, but it was really welcomed in my life.
1: Are you Italian?
0: I am not. Not okay. at all.
1: So you were in this Italian community, but you yourself weren't Italian, but no, really I'm appreciated I'm, the community.
0: I'm German, Dutch, Scotch, Irish, and Swedish. So we and call I, that a euro month. <laughs> my mom used to say a little bit of everything and not much of anything. So, yeah, but uh, it, was, it was a beautiful time uh, getting to know all of the relatives of the people who were our landlords and uh, grandma making wonderful smelling food that permeated our yard. And then she'd say, hey, you want to come over and eat something? And I always would. But it it was really wonderful, a wonderful time in that part. Great. That right. What of about my life. your family? My mother and father uh, were. It was my mom's second marriage, and uh, my mother had been horribly abused by her first husband. So mm. my dad was like her prince charming, and uh, I had an older half sister as well. So it was me and my sister Debbie, and then my oldest half sister Carol. So Carol lived next door to us in the apartment above our house and uh, my mom was almost 40 when she had me. So they were older okay. uh, and my dad was not with us long. When I was seven years old, he went to a retirement party and he had a coronary heart attack, a what? massive coronary heart attack on his way home. Oh my Dro- he was walking, neither my parents drove, so he was walking back huh. and he had, uh, had this happen and the only reason they the police found him is they were chasing some kids that had broke some windows and they saw my dad lay in there it was pouring rain uh, I'll never forget that night waking up and hearing all these voices of people in my home that I didn't even know who they were and I was told that my dad had died
1: oh my gosh I'm so sorry
0: yes it was it was a difficult time mostly because Like, my mom had no friends. Uh, She didn't really know what to do. Uh, You know, today we have all these ministries that help with that, Um, grieving and that kind of thing. But my mom didn't know what to to really do or how to deal with that, nobody to talk to. She didn't seek out help, but uh, she did seek out the help of uh, Jack Daniels or I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, Jim Beam. And- uh, His cousin. Yeah, she started (laughs) drinking heavily. And uh, Mm. my mom was not a nice drunk. So growing up was pretty difficult as a whole. Uh, The difficulty with my mom's drinking was that she uh, she didn't hit me or anything like that. She wasn't abusive that way, but verbally, like, she wanted to argue. She did that quite a bit. The interesting thing with when you grow up in an alcoholic home is when you are not at home, everything is wonderful and happy, and you're having a good time, you know, with your friends and that. But as soon as I would come to the doorway or actually to my fence, I could either hear her playing uh, you know, like Engelbert Humperdinck albums. If anybody even knows what vinyl albums are, a, uh, a man without love. It, yeah. yeah, Tom yeah. Jones, who was one She's of my a lady. favorites. Oh, yeah. come on. And just yeah, I had a thing for Tom Jones. We won't go into that. But anyway, <laughs> I would hear this music, and and as I got closer to the to the stairway, I could smell the smoke. She smoked mm. cigarettes and the the alcohol. And I never really knew what I was gonna deal with that night, but it just created this uh, fear in me as to what I was gonna have to encounter when I went in Mm -hmm. the house. Okay. So what I tended to do was um, to find an escape mechanism, right? So I would go by Karen's house, who was my neighbor and my very best friend. We were two days apart, and I would go Mm -hmm. by her house sometimes. But, you know, sooner or later, you had to go home. And uh, I remember by the time I was 14, like my mom never discussed my dad's death. It was like he never even was a part of our family. She didn't talk Mm -hmm. about it. And I sure didn't want to ask questions about it because it would cause her pain. So I just didn't, didn't speak about it, neither did my sister, Debbie. By the time I was 14, Debbie was two years older than me, so she was already, she already had a boyfriend, she was out of the house a lot, so I was the one who got to deal with my mom. However, I kind of picked up on uh, her bad habits, so I had some friends, got involved with uh, kids that were smoking, drinking, um, not only smoking cigarettes, but smoking pot, and I found that I really enjoyed that uh got involved with older men, because one of my girlfriends was doing that. And that's kind of how I coped with it. And I realized that trusting anybody, especially men, was really difficult, because, you know, men left me feeling uh, abused, used, discarded. Mm-hmm. And so... It was really a a hard time in my life, but that's what I knew to try to deal with what I was going through, because I didn't talk to my friends. They all had both parents, most of the ones I knew anyway. So I coped with smoking, drinking, doing whatever to, I guess looking for love in all the wrong places would Mm -hmm. be a good kind of line to say about that.
1: So let's let's back up a little bit, and I wanted to ask about the faith component in mm-hmm. your family.
0: So we went to, uh, my mom took us out of public school when I was really young, uh, first grade. Uh, I went to kindergarten, first grade in public school, and then she moved us to Catholic school, which was two blocks away. Both schools were a couple blocks away. So I went to Catholic school, and even though we had the church component, the faith component, and uh, I went to church every Sunday mostly because my mom demanded that I go. She did not go, mm. but she made basically me go. I don't even remember my sister, my sister Debbie, going at all. But I went, and didn't connect at all with the message or the uh, music. I, I did just didn't connect with any of it, and. My friend Donna and I, we just went to church because we were told we had to go. Mm -hmm. So that was grade school. And then I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, which those girls were really something. Like I I can't even, I never even thought of doing some of the things that they did. I don't know what my mom considered this was going to help me or better me because It was crazy, but during my high school years is when I met my husband, and I never made the connection with anything with faith or God or anything. It was just like what I was walking through life to do and I was supposed to do. I didn't feel any draw to God or anything during that time.
1: You went to church but you just you went through like the motions.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So my friend and I you know in the church they have the candles you know lined up and then you put money in it you light a candle you say a prayer for somebody. Well the money box the thing was open so my friend and I went and took all the money from there <gasps> Then we found a door that went back in the back of the sanctuary that wasn't locked. So we went in there and we stole the hosts that they used for communion. And we stole those and we went, went back to my house and we played. Um, of course, I was the priest and she would kneel down and I would give her the host just enacting wow. church. Wow. And never thought anything about it. I mean, I I just said that we stole it, but I didn't really consider it stealing. See, I had no idea what sin was or stealing was. I did not get the concept of any of that. Wow. So you had no
1: like moral compass?
0: Well, yeah, when I was in in school, no, not so much. I was 14 years old when I started high school. And that's when I started to be promiscuous. The girls that I went to school with were already in relationships, they were talking about it. Um, As I mentioned, my friend was involved with older men. And so I followed suit and realized that my decisions were causing me more heartache because of the way I felt afterwards, you know, feeling alone, unloved, discarded. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to fix that. And I just used drugs and alcohol to mask that pain as well.
1: Okay. So like your mom, you were medicating, but your Mm -hmm. pain was a different pain. Yes. But still you were also medicating your pain and dealing with your problems. With drugs and alcohol, yes, how did it make you feel to to kind of numb your feelings with okay. drugs and alcohol?
0: So when I was doing uh, probably in the depths of it, when I was really engulfed in drugs and alcohol, and I did that basically to escape because I didn't r- realize that I needed to deal with these feelings and these emotions so i just did what i knew this is what i grew up with my mom didn't talk about her emotional well-being or how she felt or going through the process of grieving and when you grow up in an alcoholic home like you don't talk about those things everything is a secret you don't tell anybody what's going on in the home okay. but i i remember uh, my neighbors would come over and be talking to us and I always felt like they looked at me like they felt sorry for me, which I realize that now is they did feel sorry for me because they knew my mother was an alcoholic, hmm. and I didn't realize that because you couldn't
1: even put your finger on it no. at the time.
0: Yeah, I was just this is how normal things, this is normal life, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I knew I needed to make some changes, but that comes a little later.
1: So how bad did your normal get? I put in air quotes that you can't hear on a podcast. How bad did your normal get before you realized this is not normal?
0: Boy, before I realized that it was not normal was, was quite a ways into me coming to faith, really. So, uh, like I said, I met my husband, Rick. I, I was working at a place called Cock Robin when I first spotted him. Oh, he was... So good looking. Mm-hmm. Oh, blondish brown hair, dreamy green eyes. And oh, this part, he had a tattoo. <gasps> what a rebel, right? So definitely Prince Charming material. Well, Rick was...
1: And he's still the love of your life, he right? He still just is. want to clarify.
0: Okay. A lot of people ask me, are you guys still married after all this? It's like, yes. Uh, I was f- close to 16, and he's six years older than me. So Yeah, do the math on that. My mother was not thrilled about that age range. However, Rick was really good to me. So he asked me to marry him sooner or later, you know, more sooner than later. Uh, I was 17 and he was um, 23 at the time. So we go off to happily ever after. But Rick was in the service, so he served in Vietnam, so he had his own set of baggage, and then so did I. And we didn't talk about it because it was always, if you don't talk about it, it'll go away. I'm sure okay. some somebody out there knows that program, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we didn't talk about it, and then we were married for a couple of years, and then we decided, as many other people do, hey, let's start a family, right? Let's bring some kids into this mess, that should fix it right up. Well, uh, we had our daughter Lori. And after about five minutes of motherhood, I realized, wow, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's rough. It's selfless. You have to take care of somebody else all the time. And I wanted to be happy. So I thought I need to devise my own plan. And so I was working at a bar right across the street from where we lived. And, you know, when you work in a bar, there is this element of not only drinking, but a lot of times there's drugs involved. So me being the networker I am, I found a connection and I started to deal cocaine from that bar.
1: What made you go from maybe using drugs to dealing them? Like, was it desperation? Like, why, how did you go from one end to the other like that?
0: Okay, so while I was working at the bar, I saw another customer who he was dealing. And I saw him making quite a bit of money, and people were were all over him. And I thought, hmm, I could do that. And yes, I, I actually thought money would make me happy. So mm-hmm. I went down that avenue, and I thought, hey, I could start my own business. I already have clientele. I am already uh, a well-known keep here and had quite a few friends in that so I thought I'll just start you know kind of edging him out and doing mm. my own thing so I started to and i I started to deal there and I made a lot of money
1: do you have an example of a time that it, it got really dangerously bad.
0: Yes, I think the the time that I had the realization that this was not a good thing is that so our daughter, she was she was at a school down the street from us. And I had this, I don't know if you want to call it a vision or whatever. But this idea popped into my head that it was in the newspaper that I had been arrested and gave all the details. They had pictures of of Rick and Lori, and the embarrassment. I just felt the the shame and embarrassment of it all. Hmm. And that was right before I had the incident with the police. Wow. I almost sold to an undercover guy. And uh, the police used to come in and rent space at the at the bar I was working at all the time. So Mm. I knew a lot of the police officers. And he came in with this guy that I had I had sold to in the past. So I was already freaked out when I saw him standing there with the cops. So I, I refused to even give him a drink or anything. And then the following day, my boss had one of the other bartenders call me and say, you don't have to come in anymore. We found somebody to replace you out of the clear blue sky. So um, I realized that I had been lucky for a really long time, and I needed to start making some changes in my life. Did Rick know about this dealing? No, he did not know a thing. Did
1: he find out that you got caught?
0: He di- I did not get caught, so to speak. I just lost my job. You lost your job, right? So I just, I just went with that. And you know, when I think about it, I should have been honest with Rick. I should have told him what I was up to. I mean, we were already dealing pot. I mean, you know, what's, what's the deal to add cocaine to it? Uh, and I didn't tell him. I lied to him. I deceived. It, it really is heartbreaking. When I think of that part of my life, Mm -hmm. that I kept from him and so I was kind of even though I didn't go to prison I created this prison in my of my own with deceit and all of that and I started to feel that desperation like I need to make some changes man I could have got caught here and done jail time and all this stuff I, I needed to change some things
2: Share today's 180 with your people. It might be the best news they hear today. Contact us on Instagram or stories at 180podcast.com. Mhm.
1: So you're feeling a, a lot of feelings right now. You just got caught by at least your boss and Yeah. Um, really your cage was rattled and these other emotions are coming forth now. Did you feel conviction that what you were doing was wrong
0: at this point? I didn't feel that so much as as I have been lucky. Okay. Yeah, I didn't even get the concept of this is wrong Okay. at all. So didn't get the concept that that was wrong, but I knew that I needed to change something. So Growing up in the Catholic Church, right, I'm starting to feel like I need to go to confession. So I called the church, and I asked for the rectory, and and the priest that answered the phone was somebody that I knew. He actually baptized me, Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh my gosh, I started asking questions about when is confession and all this stuff, and I'm thinking, he knows it's me. (laughs) I mean you know i'm thirty three mm-hmm. years old almost yeah. he hasn't seen me since I was in first grade i I don't think or he hasn't seen me in many, many years like he wouldn't know my voice and that but and he told me about the hours of confession and i when I hung up the phone, I'm like that is just that's not it. that's not what I need, but it's something I just can't put my finger on it, but I think it's cool that you know you you were
1: sitting there in You know going through the motions in church not believing anything but yet at the right time it comes back you do i mean it's like you did learn you were paying attention enough to know when you actually had sinned and you needed to confess like you had tools that you were given and they did come out at the right time
0: yeah that is that is really something isn't it because i never connected the dots then and so with this feeling of, I needed to change something. So we were in this business that we were going on a, uh, we were gonna be gone at a conference and they had a, they had a Sunday service. And so the people that we had been talking to said, you really need to go to um, the Sunday service. So I never, Rick and I hadn't gone to church in forever. We would go Easter and Christmas, you know, with, the, with the, his parents and that kind of thing um, to make a statement, you know, but other than that, we really did not go to church at all. So, so this couple, uh, they were just wonderful to us. I mean, they were so kind and understanding and, uh, we didn't really expect anything from them, but we realized that they were just, they included us. I mean, we would go out with them and we would laugh till we cried. Uh they never judged us or anything, and they never seemed shocked at what came out of my mouth. And when I tell you, my language was like, so you put a maybe a sailor, a truck driver, and a I, I don't know, mix them all together. That was my mouth. Horrible. Like, you would not want, yeah, it was not good. But they didn't seem shocked at anything that came out of my mouth. And then they invited us to church. Oh. So... I said yes. Yeah, we'll go. And then Rick shoots me this look, like, "What are you doing?" And (laughs) but I, we love them. They were so nice to us. And I thought, I go, "Well, I've already said yes, so we're going." And we sat in the church service, and the pastor. So he is so animated, and his uh, eyes were bright blue, and he would he was just funny. Now it's my 33rd birthday, so it's January 2nd. And so he's talking, and I didn't, um, you know, ever hear the whole gospel. So he's up there and he's talking about the Christmas story and the birth of Christ and then his life and the whole picture of Christ living a sinless life. And then he died a horrible death and sacrificed his life so that I could be in right, I felt like he was just talking to me. And I could be in right relationship with God if I made this decision to start a journey of faith and be connected again to God. And it was because of Jesus and his sacrifice that allowed that to happen. And I was just falling apart, I was bawling and I knew that this is what I needed. Hmm. So they did a, you know, you could come forward. And uh, I left all of my belongings in this big arena, just left them at the chair, went up to the front and wanted to hear more about this. And that was my beginning of my faith journey where I uh, prayed to receive Christ and ask him to change my heart and ask for forgiveness and all of that. That was my 33rd birthday. Wow. And that started the whole journey.
1: What did it feel like that day when you prayed that prayer? Did you feel
0: something? Totally (laughs) felt this is it. I mean, I felt like the Hallelujah Chorus was singing by angels, honestly. Well, maybe they were. It was, yeah, it was like, wow, I I felt so much lighter, like the burden had definitely been lifted. And then Mm -hmm. all of the people that we were sitting with were hugging me saying, welcome Mm -hmm. to the family, congratulations, which I didn't get why they were saying that, but hey, they were hugging me and I was feeling great. So I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Terry and John, the people that uh, invited us to church were so wonderful. They started to mentor me. Uh, in, in such a powerful way and just be so kind and uh, they brought us to a church that was close by our house and we started to attend there regularly so we went for about I think it would turn out to be about 11 years okay and when I look back on that I realized that I was like in this incubator for 10 or 11 years whatever it was and I would go to church and I would hear the message, and it was starting to penetrate my heart, and I kind of did the, now I'm a good girl, and God had taken away the desire for drugs. Um, On that day, like, I I don't even share that a whole lot because he doesn't do that with everybody. I think that's unique for me. They get a little uh, anxious about that. I didn't have to go to treatment God just t- took it away, and also, like, I couldn't cuss anymore. I I could not, the words would not come out of my mouth, so that was amazing. And you and, said
1: you had a potty mouth before that. Bad.
0: So, oh, yeah. you could talk to Rick about that. <laughs> it was, yeah. A friend of mine that I ran into that knew me well, she realized that I became a Christian because she goes, we've been talking for 10 minutes, and you haven't dropped the F-bomb once. <laughs> Yes. There was some spiritual that?
1: fruit there wow. with not swearing.
0: It's like that wow, other people noticed. That really tells a story. Uh. That was my beginning of my faith journey, my thirty-third birthday. What that meant is Lori was thirteen. So we started to go to church when she was thirteen and really I was at work in the evening. So Rick was the one that was taking care of her at night taking her out to play, doing, you know, all of that. He was really the parental role model. Mm -hmm. And he did a, a much better job, I would say, than I did. But after we started going to church and changed, I mean, she saw a definite change. And it wasn't too long after that. Then Lori made the decision, too, for Jesus. And it was at an Easter mm-hmm. service, and we were at church, and we hadn't talked to her about it. We didn't offer that to her. I didn't nudge her. I didn't, you know, flying elbows, nothing. She just she just took a stand right then, and we were just elated. It was wonderful. And she's been in Bible study groups with me, and when I went to speak for the uh, uh, another ministry that I was involved in, she would come out and travel with me. And she's heard the same old story a gazillion times. And she says, mom, every time you give it, it's different. And so we would have a great time when we were out doing that together. And she's, she's a best friend. Uh, she is uh, so sweet and kind, compassionate. And I just love her. She's very gracious when I get choked up and talk about, like, I am so sorry about some of the things. Yeah. When she was in grade school. I would drive her to school in the morning, and I was like half in the bag. I was hung over mm. from the night before. And I would just be screaming at her in the parking lot, and I felt terrible about that. And she is she's just gracious, and she'd go, Mom, I don't even remember that. Mm. And part of me wants to believe that, Margaret, but I just think it's too hard for her to deal with, really talking through that. And so I just say, thanks for your grace, Lord, because I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but I'm just I'm grateful. We made some good friends at church. And, um, and then I started to feel that imp poking me on the shoulder saying, hey, you've been good for a really long time. You deserve to have a little fun. Why don't you forget all that God stuff for a while?" And we received a gift of a computer from Rick's brother, and I got involved in some activity on the internet that caused a whole lot of shame and guilt. And then I found myself revisiting some old bad behavior.
2: Mm.
0: And this went on for months, my secret life. and. I remember calling a friend of mine. We actually made the decision to start walking a faith journey. We made the decision for Jesus Mm -hmm. on the same day, and I called her, and I was telling her what I was up to. And her way of consoling me was to say, oh, you're not really doing anything wrong.
1: Oh. So you finally confess to somebody, and they they don't acknowledge it. Oh.
0: And I was like, Okay. So I realized that when I hung up from her, I knew that wasn't the answer. But when I hung up from her, I remember sitting there thinking, you know, when I made that decision all those years ago, see, I just wanted the quick fix. You know, I wanted the, hey, I'll get out of jail free, so to speak, and I'll Mm -hmm. just... Uh, you know, I'll give more to charity. I'll go to church every week. I'll. How do you want me to do this? But you know, changing a life. I. So I got the fire insurance, but I did not make Jesus Lord of my life.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And
0: I was like, God, I. I don't know what I need, but I need. I. I don't know what I need. So I made a phone call. To a twelve-step group, and the the gale told me where to go. I went to the meeting. I was fighting with God the whole way. I went to the meeting. I sat in the parking lot. I called this gale and I said, "I don't know where this. I don't know where it is. I can't find." I'm sitting in the parking lot, and I'm telling Mm -hmm. her I can't find it. I'm sure. I'm sure she's been lied to a few thousand times. But anyway, so. And she goes, she was so gracious, she says, well, maybe next week we'll talk, I'll give you better directions and whatnot. And I sat in the parking lot and I was like, Lord, I think you're after me, and I know I've messed it up 100%. And right now, if you can meet me where I'm at, God, or show me that you're real, if you want me to go into this meeting, you're gonna have to help me, make me whatever, because I just can't do it. And then, then I'm in the meeting, like, like you no. just like beam me up Scotty kind of thing and here I am in this meeting Wow. for the next and I went back four or five times and all I could do was cry the whole time I listened to what everybody else said I couldn't really share it all I just bawled my eyes out but in that meeting I realized that this is full of So many of my best friends that I never even met, Mm -hmm. uh, they could relate to me and I could relate to them and their struggles. And in that meeting is where I learned that you have to ask for forgiveness, but you also have to let the Lord, by his spirit, take control of you, like to lead you, to guide you. I didn't get that before. And that's really at that date, that is when things really started to get just a wild ride, I'll call it.
1: Wow. Roller
0: coaster ride, but amazing.
1: So you had the second part of Jesus being your Lord and your Savior, not yes. just your Savior but your Lord. So, what was the? Tell us, take us to the ride with you.
0: Okay. Well, <laughs> um, I asked my pastor, like, what do I need to do? God started to give me the ability to. I was having dreams, and I was hearing scripture verses. I started to open my Bible, and just some things that happened where I realized that the Holy Spirit is real. Hmm. So here's one instance. I was walking in with my groceries. I put them down on the floor and I felt this, you need to call this, this gal and I want you to speak to her and I'll tell you what to say when you call her. And I, I go, okay, yeah, I'll do that later. And he's like, you'll do it right now. Hmm. I heard that in my spirit. So I left the groceries there. I went upstairs. I opened my Bible and it was a verse in Jeremiah. I call this girl. First of all, I'm debating with God. You know, I'm like, she's going to think I've lost my mind. She doesn't really know me. I don't really know her. How I had her phone number, I don't know. And I called her and I said, Hey, you don't know me. she goes, Oh, well, yeah, Diane, I know you. And you, you know, whatever, how the connection is. And I said, Well, you might think I got a screw loose, but I feel like I'm supposed to call you and tell you this verse in Jeremiah. And I read it to her and silence and i'm like um hello and she's sobbing Hmm. and she says diane i am so grateful that you called me because i know exactly why god had you call and i know what that verse is it's an answer for me and you just keep being obedient to the holy spirit girl thank you so much so that was the time that I was like, "Wow, this stuff is real!" Like God speaks to His people, and He He moves you by His Spirit to do things.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so, yeah, that was that was like my first really stri- I, I could tell you a hundred stories, honestly, Margaret, mm-hmm. uh, of things like that that happened. But it was just that was the first time when I was like, "Okay, this this really is real." It was so exciting.
1: So where did God take you on this wild ride after you said yes and started saying yes better?
0: I did. And most of it was starting to get into his word because I had this idea that God was like the other men that I knew. Mm -hmm. And in my past, it had been ones that just got what they needed or wanted and then that was it. Um, I think I heard God as Father so much. But I really didn't, I hardly knew my own father because he worked nights. So we didn't have a whole lot of time together. And unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of memory about my dad. So when they when God is called Father, there was a disconnect for me and I had put human characteristics on God, who who's not human, he's Mm -hmm. holy. And so there was a bit of a, a problem there. So I needed to learn who God really is, and what his character is like, and uh, how he loves me personally. Uh, I always use us and and you, but I had to start saying how God loves me. And how do you do that? You open the book. So I Mm -hmm. got into Bible study. The first one I was in, uh, was a group. It was it was kind of general, so that was great. But then I got into a precept study, precept upon precept. It's a K Arthur study, and mm-hmm. the first book we did was the Gospel of John. Yeah, and it was first of all the teaching was so personal and so descriptive. When Kay was uh, reading the scripture and then giving some history. I could see it, like, in my mind. I could see the, I could hear the horses walking. I could he- see the dust flying from the feet of people. I could smell the smells. I could see the uh, description of the sea. It was just so, I needed it so bad. It was like a sponge. And so we. I was through the whole Gospel of John, precept upon precept. And my faith just started to soar. I felt that was such a great book for me to study because it made Jesus, you get to see him as a person and how he loved the disciples and how people treated him. I mean, the whole thing, all the way to the cross, how he, he really, it was anguish and all of it. So it, it made me feel like I really knew him. I was hmm. really getting to know him. And really, ever since then, it's been solid. Like, there was not really a whole lot of doubt because it was just so, so tangible, so real, so embedded. Uh, it was just amazing. But I, and then I realized, wow, this is what everybody needs to do. They need to open their Bibles and read it. It's just like he planned it that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: So Absolutely. that I really
0: started growing in my faith. That's great. And
1: then um, you went into ministry. So tell us about that.
0: Okay, so I had um, always wanted to be staff at a church. So uh, I was already involved in the support and recovery ministry. Uh, I was already going to secular meetings as well, or AA, AASAG, uh, all of those meetings. So when I was approached to be a director of support and recovery at a large church in Naperville. It was scary, it was exciting, it was quite a process. But Rick and I both knew that's exactly what I needed to do. So I got to see, I had a front row seat to see God doing amazing things. So I, was, I oversaw marriage ministry, and there were marriages that were put back together. There were people who were stuck in addiction that got free from that. Uh, we had a service where we had a worship component, a message component, a testimony component, and then a small group breakout. You know, not everybody's perfect. We haven't all arrived. I mean, some people mm-hmm. had some sobriety under their belt. Some were really in a struggle. Just so many different things and God did miraculous stuff over there. It, it was just, it was uh, so exciting to be a part of that. And uh, I I did that for about five and a half years. And then uh, the Lord uh, told me it was time for me to step down. And um, I thought he doesn't know what he's talking about because <laughs> we went from, from having 40 people there on a regular basis to having I don't know close to 200 and it was just phenomenal and I thought God you don't jump ship like when things are going good and it was very clear that to me I was starting to love that ministry almost more than I was really loving God or listening to Mm him is how I viewed that but I, I do remember when it was time for me to step down and writing the email saying somebody else is gonna have to take over from the teaching team. And uh, it it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. Yeah. Uh, I still cry about it when I really think about it because I loved doing it. And the people that I served with and so many of the people that got healed and free during that time, uh, but what he, what he did was he he allowed me to let go of that, so I could start something different. Because you can't sit there and juggle all this all this stuff together at one time. So I wrote a support and recovery curriculum, and it's called Step into Freedom. And there's probably been well over a hundred people that have gone through it and have nice. gotten free. And you know you got to take a deep dive, right? anything that's surface is not going to is not going to bring too much healing and those of us who have really gone and dug deep into the bottom of the well we need something that's going to help us with that so you got to take a deep dive and So that was a wonderful time to see people going through their program and getting free and that kind of thing. So I'm still doing small groups. I'm leading small groups. I'll always love that. I mentor women. I still do that. I don't think I'll ever stop doing that. And just really loving people that I I just have a passion for people who have struggled with the same thing that I have Mm -hmm. and to know that it is never too late. Never too late. He's the God of the the first chance, the second chance, the last chance, the fat chance, right? Wow. And he he's never tiring of us. So that is so great. I'm glad he didn't get tired of me. Yeah. Um, so it's heartbreaking when I hear somebody say, oh, they'll never change. And I just smile and I go, I know people said that about me, too. Yeah. And voila, <laughs> totally different.
1: Wow. So... Kate Sperry is our intern and she um, is producing this show. She's gonna ask our last question. Hello. Hi
2: Kate. (laughs) So take us back to the Diane that was, you know, hitting rock bottom with just the drugs and alcohol and the self-medicating instead of facing uh, the hurt that was actually there. What advice would you give to others who are self-medicating like you were instead of facing their problems?
0: That's a really good question.
2: The advice I think
0: I would give to somebody would be, there is a better way. We all tend to think that we are the ones in control. Like I would go, hey, it's my life, right? I should be able to do whatever I want. But I'm telling you, I'm not the judge of anything. And I am definitely not an experienced uh, teacher. I'm not the be all end all, you know, queen of knowledge, but there is a better way. Because if I turn to an expert who can give me the tools I need, advice that I need, that has nothing but the best in store for me, that wants nothing but the best, then that's the person that I want to talk to. And that, of course, is the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because us humans, we're all flawed. I mean, I'm, I could say I'll never let you down. That's a big lie, because I'm going to let you down. I'm going to hurt you. I hope I don't betray you, but chances are that I might. And so I'm not perfect. But there is somebody who's perfect, who has nothing but great things in store, and wants to do the best for you. He has a best life plan for you, and that's God. So it's there is there is always hope. Hope is never gone. That's what I love about God. Like I said, he's the, the next chance, fat chance, right? He mm-hmm. never gives up. That's what's so wonderful about him. I mean, I think we all get to a point where we just think we're lonely. Nobody else understands us. And things are never going to change. That is, that's not true. That's a lie. And we start believing things like that, unless we have something to counteract that. And that is the truth. Mm-hmm. So, and that comes strictly from the Word of God, and that's what really flipped the switch for me that I had these ideas that weren't really true and believed lies, uh, and I needed to change that so opening the word is really what what happened that changed me significantly.
2: yeah, wow, Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and and he's where his abundant life is, so that's amazing that's right he is He is the. Truth, not
0: a, truth, not a way, not the. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks, Diane, for being on the show. Your story is so inspiring, inspired, and brought me and Margaret to tears. Um, And we just can't wait to see um, just how people are going to react and respond to your story. Um, It truly is beautiful, and it was a blessing to hear it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. It is really my honor and my joy to be able to share it. And I really pray that God will use it mightily for His glory. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, awesome. That's amazing. This is Kate Sperry, producer of today's show. For today's send-off, one-way intern Liv Leduc, a student at Wheaton College, wrote the spoken word for Diane. Please enjoy no
3: example to follow so she went with what she knew substances to deal with grief but it brought out anger too a marriage heavy with baggage hearts that wouldn't let god in ignoring past traumas only led to more sin at the young age of 20 her daughter was born the responsibility was unwanted so drugs became the norm by the grace of god the dealing was halted Though the idol of money was still looming large, her only option was turning to a God who was fully in charge. New friends encouraged the couple toward the Lord. Hearing the gospel for the first time left her absolutely floored. Salvation and forgiveness only found in Christ became a desire that truly enticed. A God who loved her and sacrificed himself for sin. On her 33rd birthday, she eagerly let him back in. Now she uses her past to share the good news. The gospel-saving grace can be your story too. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.